0: The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. So Stacy uh, has been going through Galatians. Um, we've been there for a little while now. We're in chapter 3. And I, if, if you remember the last couple times I've preached, I have not been going along with him. Prior to doing Galatians, we did Mark in which it was very much a nice rolling narrative that was easy to block out sections of, of Scripture that we're going to be able to cover. And Stacey would preach three times, and then I'd preach once, and then Stacey would preach three times, and I'd preach once. And we continue on right through Mark. It has not been the same way for Galatians. Galatians is, is propositional literature. It's a letter written to propose truth to this church, correcting error and teaching them doctrine. Um, so it's a little bit more difficult. and as if you've been here in the, uh, the past couple weeks, you've heard Stacy preach. Um, and he's, I think, on number three of four, perhaps, of why the law. So that style of, of, of what we're going to preach through is a little bit more difficult to just parse out. And he says, okay, you just do the next section. Sometimes he's not sure if he's going to finish that section. So uh, I think it was like at the beginning of, this, of uh, 2016 or so, he said, instead of you coming alongside with me in Galatians, how about you step in and do a few different one or two sermon series on different books of the Bible, or whatever that you think is the right thing, and we can work on that as elders. And so we did, along the way, we've done, um, we've done Ruth, we've done the book of Jude, um, and we did Job uh, a couple weeks ago. But uh, in all that, he asked me then, he, he, I feel like I'm really loud, I'm sorry if I am. Um, if, if he said, what would you like to do next? He said, what are you going to do? I'm going to give these two Sundays to you, I'll be out. Um, what would you like to do? And I said, obviously, Obadiah. That's what I really want to get to. And he said, "Haha, no, but seriously. <laughs> what do you want to do? And I said, no, but seriously, Obadiah. And he said, well, because we had talked about it as elders and talked through, do we even know what's going on in the Minor Prophets? Do our people even read it and understand what's happening in the Minor Prophets? And we thought as elders and pastors that that might be helpful for us to go through something like that. And surely we, we most likely will in the next couple months or something like that. But in Stacy's profound wisdom, um, he said, uh, I don't think you should do that. He said, I, I, I think that's a good thing, but let's just hold on that for a minute. They've heard a lot from um, these different books and, and preaching big sections of Scripture, and it's a lot to get through, and sometimes you have to rush through it to make sure you get your hands around all of it and try to apply it. He said, can I suggest that you... Take something that God is changing and teaching you in your life and preach out of that, from that text, from something that He is changing in you, and allow that to spill out and allow us to actually use that as a, like a kind of a, a springboard into the Scriptures. Um, and you'd think, well, that's way easier to preach than Obadiah. Um, but strangely enough, it was quite daunting to me um, because we have a great deal of respect for the Scriptures. It's It's perfect. It's so pure, it's organized well, it's a nice thought flow, and you can take chunks of it at a time and it allows you to listen to it and then preach that. For me to do that from my life and things that I've learned, I am not an organized, nice, flowing, neat narrative to give to you guys and just show, oh here, let me just show this. The, the, the good thing is I'm not preaching from my life today necessarily. I'm certainly gonna bring you along in some of the things that I've been thinking about and struggling through, Um, But what we're preaching today, make no mistake about it, is the text of Scripture. My opinions and my experiences and my tips for you, they can't transform your life. Um, They may help here and there, and, and we certainly are good at that and helping one another out, but I cannot transform you and change your heart from deadness to liveness or change you from darkness to light. Only the text of Scripture can do that. Only His Spirit using that can do that. And so we find our authority only in one place, and that's in the Word of God. His, this, the Word, the capital W, the Word, Jesus Christ who came, um, and as He has left us His Word. And that's what we're going to be out of this morning. But I will kind of take you along a little bit of a journey of where I've been the past two years and what a couple of things that I've been thinking about and praying about and searching and way that He is changing me um, along the way. So uh, that might sound weird again, but that's, where I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to try to do today. <clears throat> Stacy has been taking us through Galatians. He's been taking us and uh, leading us through to see our need for faith versus the law, versus our innate sinful desire to have ourselves and love ourselves through the law. Instead, we're supposed to be people of faith, to rely only on Jesus Christ, to rely or have faith in, to believe in Him, not in ourselves and our ability to fulfill the law. There's something inside of each of us, we know this, that truly wants to provide our own justification, that wants to, um, on our own effort and our own discipline and our own merit, get it together and like that we were smart enough to say yes to the question uh, you know, this is a free gift of salvation, that we're somehow smart enough to, to gobble it up and say, yeah, I was able to rely on that. We are thoroughly individualistic and we want to stick it to the man. And oftentimes, if you're an American, if you've grown up here, you want to be able to end your life to say, I pulled myself up with my bootstraps and I did it. We hate the idea that we, like, giving the credit for somebody else from what we've done, uh, or, or, or seemingly. At the end of our life, we hate to give the credit to somebody else the life I've lived. Uh, it seems like it's mine. We want the credit. And to put it more starkly in theological terms, we want the glory. We don't want to die to self. We don't want to be crucified with Christ and allow Him to live through us. We want ourselves to be the kings. And so it's, it's, it's like there's no one in their right mind, humanly speaking, who would want to live by faith. Because that takes all the power and all the glory away from the one in charge and relies solely on someone else. Complete and utter glory goes to somebody else, not to myself, especially if something good happens. It all goes back on them. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. No one wants that. And yet, this is what we are commanded to do. Wow. To take this life that we live in the flesh and live it by faith in the Son of God. Now that you're all distracted, let me try again. This is what we're commanded to do. We're called to live by faith. In this life that we have, that we live in the flesh, we are called rather to live it by faith in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. Forsaking all other means of salvation or happiness or satisfaction and place it solely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ and his cross work. That's where it lies. Um, In Galatians, we saw that this was the life that Abraham lived. And Stacy took us to, if you remember this, he took us to, um, he took us to Hebrews chapter 13 or 11, verses 13 through 16, and he talked about this. And Stacy's pointed this out, and it continues to impact me almost on a daily basis. Uh, look at Hebrews 11 here with me. Let's put it on the screen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had been gone out, they would have opportunity to return there. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This passage gives us perspective. This world really is not our home. If you are a believer in Christ, verse 14 says that this type of person is seeking a homeland. In other words, we're not in the homeland now. We're seeking something greater, seeking a homeland. We are, as the passage points out, strangers and exiles here, looking forward to something greater. You guys have probably seen uh, the bumper stickers, the the Not of This World, N-O-T-W bumper stickers. All right? All right. You know, it's th- and those are those are cool. Those are, they're you know, normal. You have the graphics showing your allegiance to Jesus Christ on the back of your bumper. That's that's fine. Uh, but I've seen a couple things go a little haywire, and a, a couple more creative images have popped up. And you can kind of put NOTW like almost anywhere you want to. And I've noticed these things. And uh, you, I mean, you've got like your Harley Davidson NOTW. Um, you've even got your Hawaiian Girl NOTW. Uh, I've seen a couple ones, like we live at the beach here at uh, Virginia Beach and we have like the fun in the sun, not of this world type uh, bumper sticker. Um, For those who love classic rock, we have the uh, Aerosmith, not of this world bumper sticker. That's a real one, none of these, I just pulled these straight off of the internet. They're the real deal. Um, And then one of my personal favorites, the Daddy's Little Girl, not of this world bumper sticker. Uh, And I've been considering a lower back tattoo and I thought this butterfly looked nice. Um, I'm kidding. (laughs) As cheesy as this might sound, there is a huge element of truth in this statement. Um, It might get lost in the medium sometimes, and I would argue that probably that does sometimes, Um, but not of this world, there's a huge element of truth that we see that we are pilgrims, exiles, strangers in this land. We sang of it today in the, in the song, Jesus, I, My Cross Have Taken. I, we could have just stopped there. I mean, over and over again, recognizing that this is not where we are to be, but rather our conferences in Him alone, which is in another place completely. This, this not of this world language is reminding us that we are not here because it's our home necessarily. There's something that is greater coming. We're out of place, and thus we are to live differently than the rest of the world and how they live. But how? How does a person looking for a more complete and better country live as a stranger? How does that happen? This is where probably my, my personal life will come in and show you a little bit. So I've been thinking this way about Hebrews and thinking this way um, about Galatians and Abraham and the way that we live here and that we're truly pilgrims and what that means. Or And, and don't think of like the pilgrims with the hats and the buckles on the shoes. I'm talking about like that we're just coming through and passing through a land that's not ours we're talking about strangers. That's who we are. And I realized at this point in my life, I, I'm 33 years old. I'm, I have four kids. I have a beautiful Christian wife of nearly 10 years. I'm a homeowner. Um, I'm an employee at LifeNet Health and at Cornerstone Part-Time. Um, I'm an elder. And all these things, especially over the last two years, have, have just helped me come to grips with the fact that my choices and the way that I live matter a great deal, and not just to me anymore. They affect all of you, affect all the people that are in my life and other other places that God has placed me as a steward, whether it's in leadership or a coworker in some way or manner. The way that I live has a great deal of effect on them. And uh, I've realized that I don't want to screw that up. (laughs) What I do matters, the choices I make affect many people. It depends on how I choose to live, really. Um, I am, in this free country that we live in, the master of my own fate in one sense. I make decisions, and there are consequences for it. It depends on what I prioritize, it depends on the methods I employ to get things done, it depends how I get things done, it depends on if I save correctly for the future, or how I spend now, even, is important. What strategic things to do first and how to spend my time each and every day getting up in the morning or how I go to bed or how I work with my kids or what kind of education should I be choosing for them? Like the sea of questions is absolutely overwhelming at times of how in the world do you do this right? Instead of being dragged around by my hair from this thing to that thing to this thing to that thing, how do I do this well? And oftentimes, I just feel dumb. I feel not smart. (laughs) I feel simple, like I, I can't get my whole head around this well. I'm young, I'm inexperienced in many of these things. I have zeal, um, but, I, but that can only go so far. Uh, I need to manage well all that God has put in my stewardship. As a believer, as a husband, as a father, as an elder, and as an employer, and even as an image bearer in general, I have a great deal of, of, uh, of stewardship And I'm not alone, by the way. Almost all these things apply to everyone that's here, perhaps maybe not elder, but several of the things that we already talked about, and more than what I've talked about, is in your life as well. So there's a reason why I'm explaining some of this stuff, because I understand that we are in this together in one sense. I'm not unique. You deal with the same things. So I can sit down with a notepad, you know, and a pen. I get me, I got my I got my trusty pen and I've got my notepad to write out my life. I have a small life. And 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 I can do that, and I can sit down in my little brain and figure it out. This is what these are the decisions I'm going to make, and I'm going to get all this stuff together, and I'll be ready to go for the future. That didn't last very long. That doesn't go very well. Oftentimes, I say I I don't know what to think, and I don't know what the to- choices I should make, what the answers are. I need some help. I need someone to. Give me some external advice. I need some gray hair to come along and say, we've been here. We know what to do. Here you go. Let's, 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 let's go down the path together. Um, I need the outside resource. I can, I can ask my friends that are my age, but we, we, we all know how that goes. We're, I mean, we're all in the same things together. <laughs> we all are making the same mistakes together, and we can get a little bit of wisdom for each other, but the blind leading the blind isn't that helpful. So I need something that's different, perhaps maybe an older mentor. Or, uh, or some of the books that are out there. There's thousands of, thousands of good books of thousands of years of good wisdom on how to live life. Good business books, good philosophy books, personal improvement and maximization of time and efficiency and those types of things. And all those things are helpful. They're very good. A lot of them contain truth, and they are helpful. I've consulted mentors, and I've read books, and a lot of them have led me along the way into some of the choices in the way that I live my life now. But they all have problems. Um, often <laughs> you have differing opinions between for one subject, three different opinions, three different schools of thought on how to think about this. Which one is right? <laughs> They're all fallible people. Which one is right? Is it up to me to choose one of them or make a conglomeration of all of them and figure out how to do it that way? That sounds distracting. Um, they can sometimes even be self contradictory within themselves. Oftentimes, I don't know which approach is correct. There's so many other ones. What, which approach is, is the one to take? And even when I do do that, I take conventional wisdom together and I kind of take the center, like the least common denominator, and I get it all together here, and I do that conventional wisdom, I'm still left with the fact that I don't know if that was the right thing to do at the first place. It sounds good. And I, 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 a multitude of counselors there is safety. We know that. But Even at that point, I'm not sure that the choice I've made is the right one. And so I'm left lacking, even with good mentors, good books that I've read. and I feel as though what I really need, and you're probably tracking with me at this point, I need supernatural knowledge. I need wisdom. I need knowledge, instruction from the outside of of my existence. I need it from God. I need for Him to speak into my life to change me. And to help me think properly about how I do my life day in, day out, the choices I make, the philosophies I'm going to come through. And some of this may sound silly, but um, of course, the thing that keeps popping up for then, for me over the past few years was James 1.5. You guys have probably know this verse, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's a wonderful promise. I grabbed onto this, and I started thinking about it, and it it changed kind of some of the things I did. I wanted wisdom. God has wisdom. He says, ask me for it. So I began to ask Him. I began praying for wisdom. In my regular prayer times and little bits here and there, I would spend a little bit extra time asking for wisdom about specific things, and then even just more general, give me wisdom as a father. I lack it. I don't know what to do about these things. Um... Give me wisdom as an elder. I'm not sure how to handle these situations. Like, what do I need to be doing, God? And it's just asking Him for those things. And for some reason, I was was expecting some supernatural intervention that somehow I'd get the answer, like, very distinctly. Um, I took this promise very seriously. I held on to this promise, and rightfully so. But I think I was expecting something supernatural, something that I could notice and grab hold of and like write down in the front leaflet of my Bible or something like that. I don't know. I was looking for something like that that would help me, direct me that way. But James 1, five, if we've just read that, says nothing about the delivery of such wisdom. Um, but my own expectation was such that I was looking for something unmistakable. I would be able to recognize it and give God the glory for answering my prayers for wisdom so directly, but it never came, at least not the way I thought it would. Instead, I continued to pray and work and live and read my Bible like normal. As it happened, uh, I began to realize that I wasn't getting anywhere with my uh, supernatural wisdom intervention, and uh, something else was happening. Along the way, I was being convicted about my own lack of trust in Jesus Christ and His Scriptures, just the fundamentals of going back to knowing Christ through His Word and His Spirit's work in me to produce fruit, to understand Scripture and to know Him through that way. I was challenged to just go back and simply recommit myself to reading the Word and prayer just like normal, not that I wasn't, but like that that would be, that that wasn't like different than wisdom, but I, like, I needed to get that. And I, and I realized that if I could get that right, the fundamentals, if I could get this right, I would be in the proper position to receive wisdom. And I'd, I'd be in a much better place to actually hear it correctly. This was my spiritual act of worship, and I knew that if I got it right, I would be in the right position to hear that wisdom. So along the way, um, one of the course seminars that I was teaching was on Job. I had 50 minutes to explain was Job right from the entire book of Job. Shows how foolish I am, see? Um, but through the study, I stumbled across chapter 28. And it was like this wonderful nugget that blew me away. Because the point, and we heard it, Jordan read it this morning, um, we, we don't have wisdom. We don't have it here even in the earthly realm. We, don't, we can't get it. And the question is asked in Job is, where is it then? Where is wisdom? Where is wisdom? And Job says in here, God understands the way to it, wisdom, and he knows its place. Okay, now things are starting to click. God has knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, but he recommends an answer to me as creation. It is the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, he says here. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. And as I go on, I'm going to read this next part for you here. God understands the way to it and he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weights and a portion of the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And this is the capstone, At the end of this chapter, this is what he says. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, is understanding. Bing. The light like went on to me. Wait a second. What's happening here is not that he has some secret wisdom. I need to, I need to dig through the earth to find some like Indiana Jones arc that like opens up, and there's the wisdom of how I'm supposed to manage my time well. That's not what's gonna happen. But rather, he says to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. You want to know? This is how it happens. Um, And as this happened, I I kept considering this and thinking, and now my wheels are turning because I've heard something like this before. I'm no dummy. Aha, Proverbs. I know about this. I've heard this before. So I quick Googled a phrase to see where where it is in Proverbs, and for a quick reference, I realized that it's scattered several places throughout Proverbs, and that's not the only place. It's also found in Psalms. So, we have Psalm 111 verse 10, we have all throughout Proverbs and we have Job. Pause for a moment. We have three different books. And by the way, this is going to be a short lesson on li- biblical literature. In scripture, you have different types of literature throughout. One of them, the one that I'm referring to today, is called either we call it wisdom literature or wisdom writings. There are at least four that are undisputed that are that are pertain or are called that. We have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The fifth one is Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. That's debated whether or not that's some sort of different poetics or if that's specifically wisdom. However, the point here is the four that are undisputed, we have Job, Psalms, Proverbs. I just listed them all here to you. They all directly connect the fear of the Lord to wisdom. I got three of the four undisputed books of wisdom saying that it's the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And then I'm thinking to myself, I wonder why Ecclesiastes doesn't say it. And then I remember thinking about Ecclesiastes. I'm like, what's the, what's the main point of the book? What does it say? And the last verse happens to say this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. After all that he's spoken of, remember, vanity of vanities. He talks about all the different things that Solomon has done up and down and gone around the world and done everything. And at the end of his life, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard, I've told you everything, this is where it's at, fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, unanimously, the four writers are saying, wisdom is bound up in the fear of the Lord. And so I realize, I'm a smart boy, I need to study some of these writings and understand it. The obvious place for me to start was Proverbs. I started in Proverbs I devoured it, and immediately I was not disappointed. There was over and over again showing that this is where I was supposed to be. I read the entire 31 chapters, I think, like a dozen times in a month. Like I would read like half a chapter a day and just come back and go, and then I'd slow down and started going through it slower and, 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 and trying to get some of these concepts so I could get wisdom. And right before, um, and right from the beginning, again, I I knew I was finding a gem. It was like a big signpost that said, yeah, you're in the right place. Start flipping over rocks. You're you're here. This is good. This is where you want to be. Look with me, if you will, at Proverbs 1, 1 and 6. You can look in your Bible or up here. It's fine. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Okay, I'm definitely in the right place. I know this. And why do you say that? Look at the passage with me for a minute here if you have it. These weird infinitive phrases at the beginning, you're seeing this over and over again, this Two plus, if you remember an infinitive, two plus a verb. So we have to know wisdom, to receive, to give prudence over and over again. And it reads really strangely. When we see these, we assume that we have to be entering into something else here, and there's got to be more to the picture, to these phrases, because they don't quite make sense on their own. But what is it? Like on the surface, again, these sentences almost seem like they're bad English to know wisdom, take a look at this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Does anyone see a governing subject and verb in here at all? <laughs> like, I can't find it at all. And I'm wondering where is, wh- how am I supposed to read this? What's What's happening here? Well, I know that some of you You grammar nerds are just loving this stuff. And you're thinking, oh, I can find it. And this is just bad English. We can figure this out. Not to burst your bubble too quickly, but remember what we're dealing with is actually an English translation of what? Hebrew. This is written in Hebrew. This is not originally in English. And so the style that's going on here is specifically the way that he wanted to write. And so what we need to do, if I can help you with this a little bit, we need to assume something. We actually have to consider this as being bound to something else. All these infinitive phrases are being bound to something else. It's in the mind of the reader. They've only read one other thing so far. It's verse 1, the title. Verse 1 is the acting title of the book. I have got the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. There's only one thing that it can be. The reader needs to connect all these two phrases to this. But how does that help us? Let me explain. If you will, give me the chance. Let me read this to you a little differently. I'm going to not assume anymore. I'm going to place in there a verb for us so that we can see the connection between the title and these purpose statements, these infinitive phrases, all right? You can see it in front here. The Proverbs of Solomon were collected to know wisdom instruction. The Proverbs of Solomon were collected to understand words of insight. The Proverbs of Solomon were collected to receive instruction in wise dealing. Do you see when we add that, what happens to these? These all become purpose statements. Why the Proverbs of Solomon? To know wisdom, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing. Now we're starting to see that even though that was omitted from from this translation, it's not a wrong, nothing happened that was wrong. It's hard for us as English readers sometimes to get it. But when we see this, we're like, oh yeah, the purpose statements here, that's what we're trying to figure out. In other words, we could say something like this there's a question, and someone's gonna ask the question, why was Proverbs written? This is giving us the answer. It was written for the reader to know wisdom and instruction, it was written for the purpose for the reader to understand words of insight, it was written for the reader to receive instruction and wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. It was given, it was written to give prudence to the simple. It was written to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. All these things you're seeing over and over again. It was written for the reader to understand a proverb and a saying. Wow, this sounds exactly like what I was looking for. I'm a youth, I'm a simple person. I want wisdom and knowledge and discretion and understanding. This is where I want to be. I want to know wisdom, instruction, and all these things. I'm simple. I need prudence. I'm young. I need knowledge and discretion. I want to understand Proverbs, wise sayings, and the way that wise people talk. Solomon, you've convinced me. I'm ready. Lay it on me. Come on, let's go. Let's, Let's hear the rest of this then. What does this mean? Hit me with the good stuff. All these things, Solomon's purpose statements, are pointing me to the book of Proverbs to get the answers that I need. That that's the whole purpose is for this to happen, for the youth to have this, for the for the simple to have this, those who seek after righteousness, those that seek after knowledge and wisdom, etc. At this point, I would be foolish not to read the rest of this book. It would be it would be truly foolish for me to, just to disregard it. God has been working this desire for wisdom in my own heart already, but then He's He's causing me to ask these questions, but. If you notice, I skipped over one verse in these infinitive phrases, verse 5. Does anyone notice this? This is almost out of character. You see to this, to this, to this, to this. And then verse 5 comes along. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So if you want to be a wise person, you should listen, which will lead to an increase in learning. And if you want to be a person who understands, you should obtain this guidance, like Right in the middle of his purpose statement, Solomon like points his finger out at me and is like, listen up. If you want to be wise, this is what you should do. Now, he is addressing those who are wise. Let the wise do this. But he's also addressing those who would be wise. That's us. That's me. I need to hear that and say, it's almost like the phrase we hear Jesus say when he says, he who has ears, let him hear. The same type of thing here we're discussing is something that, I'm sorry, I'm totally distracted. <laughs> Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Okay, I'm going to try my very best then to listen. I'm going to try my very best to obtain this guidance that we have from him. Um, and then we come to verse seven. So I'm ready for this. Uh, we'll see what happens. The title's been communicated, the purpose statements have been written, they're finished in the preamble. It is time for the foundational truth that will be the guiding principle now throughout the entire book of Proverbs and actually since we've already seen it, the entirety of wisdom literature actually. This is a foundational stone. We come to the thing that brought us to Proverbs in the first place, right off the bat. Verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The thing that I was looking for from the beginning, at the outset, we've already read the the title and the purpose statement, And prior to even getting into the discussion, if you look at verse 8, you'll see in your Bibles it says, Hear, my son, and he begins telling him all these different things. He's going to talk to him about wisdom. Prior to even getting into the address, he lays out a foundational stone for us, and that is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and that fools despise wisdom and instruction. The verse is the key to understanding Proverbs. It stands alone. It's not connected for the, from the beginning or to the end necessarily. And at the same time, what I mean by that is it's not, it stands alone as a point to make sure that you get. It is connected. In fact, it's so much so, if you take a look, you'll see that um, in verse 7 here, you have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you look back at verse 2, the first thing he says in verse 2 is to know wisdom, and instruction. Do you see that? Knowledge, wisdom, instruction, to know, wisdom, instruction. That's not an accident. That is done by the author on purpose for us. He's connecting these ideas to the exact purpose of Proverbs, saying if you want to get it and you want to understand its purpose, you've got to get this thing. You must fear the Lord or you want to understand it. Oops, I don't know how I did that. Sorry. Um, but if you don't get this, you don't get wisdom. This is the language you must know if you are to understand wisdom. Without the fear of the Lord, you will only ever be talking about wisdom. You'll never understand it. Also, this is, like I said, different in the sense that it's not just a piece of wisdom. This is not one of many things to understand. There's a lot that's going to come our way when you read through Proverbs, thing after thing after thing after thing. But that's not what's happening here. Like I said, this is a foundational piece for us to understand. One writer says, What the alphabet is to reading, notes on a page to reading music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the knowledge of this book. It is the foundational understanding. If you don't get numbers, you can't do math. If you don't understand the alphabet, you can't put together words and understand writing and and understand how to talk. Well, you can talk, but you can't write, you can't read. You don't know, any of those things. Same with music. you got to understand music. you got to see it. If you're going to read off the page, you got to read music. Otherwise, you don't have it. The fear of the Lord is that type of a thing. If you don't get this, all this other stuff will just be a blur, and it won't make any sense to you, and it won't be any help to you. So we must get this first. It's not an accident that it's sitting here at, right at the beginning. But we cannot neglect the rest of this this morning. uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise, um, that they they reject. Fools despise it. Knowledge, wisdom, instruction. As we see this, we realize that it's pretty easy to be a fool. Fool rejects biblical wisdom and instruction. Despises the teaching of the Word. Um, Or if you think those are like, oh, that's not me, he lives in a way that does not make the learning of the Word, the Bible, a priority for his life. They scoff at, in a way, kind of snicker at Bible teaching versus secular education. You need to go get your certs and you get your degrees and all this stuff. Um, to scoff at biblical teaching, that would be a fool. Fools are those who, in the end, truly have a problem with authority and they have a problem with God being their authority, and they have no desire to fear him as their God. They will not subject themselves to him, and they will not listen to wisdom, and they will not listen to instruction. Fools hate God. We know that's true from Psalms. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This morning, we've led up to this point, and And we will come back next week and work through an understanding of what then is the fear of the Lord. What are we talking about? But today, our situation, my situation that I described, isn't unique. Again, everyone in this room, whether you want it or not, everyone in this room needs biblical wisdom. And it's not like biblical wisdom is some subcategory either, by the way. We'll learn that from Proverbs as well. The first nine chapters are are like this very distinct Christian understanding of what it means to know wisdom. And 10 through 31 could be good for anyone in the world, as it were, almost like secular knowledge or secular wisdom. But we find here that all of these things are under the foundational stone or on top of the foundation of the fear of the Lord. So we have to begin here. Wisdom calls to you. Go ahead and read the rest of chapter 1. If you see the rest of chapter 1, you're going to see it's in the street calling out for the simple ones to come and to hear and to follow. The call today here to you and to anyone that listened to this or or to read this passage is simply open your ears and listen actively. Be a learner. It can't just wash over you and be gone. It's not okay. It's not okay for you just to subject yourselves to a, listening to me for a short time, and then you walk out the door and don't care about it. Again, this is not my tips and tricks and, and, and experience to help you out. This is the word of God that tells us the beginning of wisdom is found only in the fear of the Lord. And so for you to neglect it is completely foolish. And for you to not pursue it is completely foolish. And that is what I'm finding for myself as well, that this is how I must respond. If I want to be wise and know how to do these things in my life, I've got to get the foundation stone right, which is the fear of the Lord. So, how do you do that? Don't be a fool. Instead, fear the Lord. Don't think that like also like, there are two ends of the spectrum and it's okay to like, be somewhere in between neutral. No, that's not fearing the Lord at all. Fearing Him, knowing Him, and making Him the King on the throne. We've seen this. We're supposed to, as, Gal- as Galatians 2 talks about, be crucified with Christ. And it's not I that live anymore on that throne. It's King Jesus living our life that we have now by faith in the Son of God. In other words, it's wise to do as Galatians 2 says, to live by faith. What, do you think they wouldn't match up for some reason? Of course they do. This is wisdom. We find it in, in his word. So, practical thoughts. So what, Chris? Okay, read your Bible. I know it's hard. Read your Bible. You have a certain amount of time left on this earth. You need wisdom. Read your Bible. Pull it out and do 15 minutes and think about it and talk to your friend or wife or child. I don't care. Read it. Meditate on it. Think about it through the day. Talk about it with your parents or with your coworkers or whoever it is. Here's a novel thought. You know those foundations verses that you hear us awkwardly say you know, once a month? Know them. Memorize them. These are wonderful pieces for us to show and to fear the Lord properly. They rightfully align us with who He is. And it helps us to see who He is. And then we can understand wisdom correctly. Don't waste your life with all the other junk. Don't read a thousand business books. Read the Bible. That's where wisdom is found. Fearing Him. Listening to Him speak. Being an active listener so that you can receive that instruction. I am preaching to myself just as much. These are the things I need to hear over and over and over again. So we'll come back next week and we work through what the fear of the Lord is. But for now, go home. Talk about the Word together. Listen to the Word. Ask for God to change your heart so that you would receive and believe it and ask Him to change you so that you would fear Him. For that is where we find true wisdom. That's where we find knowledge, understanding, and how to live the life that we were meant to live from the beginning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us again, and thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that you'd use these feeble words. Lord, I, I don't want to get in the way. I pray that your your spirit would use these words from your word to go forth and change us. May it transform us. May we know you through your word, and through your Spirit's work in us to reveal it to us. We thank you so much for your love and ask that you would be patient with us. We know you will. You're a gentle shepherd. But we ask as we see these things and do these things that you would cause us to love your word. And as Stacy pointed out, too, that we would love your law. They It reveals, it reveals who you are. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.